Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I expect that you are aware of the looming decision regarding nomination for a Supreme Court justice to replace the retiring Anthony Kennedy, who announced that he would be retiring, made the announcement last week, and the retirement will be effective the 31st of this month. Now, he has exercised his position as sitting squarely in the middle of this Supreme Court to operate as a swing vote that whichever way he leans becomes the majority. And so recent decisions that have been rendered have been five to four decisions, and fortunately they have erred on the side of reason instead of leftist political activist dogma. But he is retiring. He's 82 years of age. He could have. He had the right to continue on until his death, whenever that would be, even if that would be 120, if this nation was still going. But instead, he is retiring. So this president, Donald Trump, has the opportunity to make his second appointment to the Supreme Court. Now, these appointments are, of course, subject to approval by the Senate. And the approval process is fraught with difficulties, shall we say, (laughs) courtesy of members of the Senate who are something other than statesmen. I haven't heard the term stateswoman before, but if it hasn't been coined, let me throw that in. Uh, Because, of course, so very many members of the United States Senate are women. But statesmen, no, not statespeople. Statesmen are rare, 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 rare breed. And uh, instead, our United States Senate is teeming with exceedingly ambitious, self-important political hacks who do not fear God, do not love God, do not honor God, do not obey God, regardless what they say, regardless what they pretend, and I do mean pretend, so many of them who are dedicated not to upholding the Constitution, but to overthrowing it, who personally, privately despise the Founding Fathers, despise everything they did, everything they stood for, 
despise what the United States of America is supposed to be about. So, suffice to say, they prefer their own kind to populate all of the judgeships, not just the United States Supreme Court, the ultimate court, if you will, in this nation, but all of the federal judgeships appointed for life, all of the state Supreme Courts, and even lesser courts, circuit courts, what have you, they want them all to be populated by their own kind who will side with them, with their agendas, their extreme leftist, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-human, anti-humane agendas. But this is a remarkable opportunity for this president. Of course, he has successfully nominated, appointed Justice Neil Gorsuch. And now he has the opportunity to make his second appointment via nomination. It will be fascinating to see whom he selects. Now, I mentioned Kennedy was 82. Pardon me for misspeaking there. He has his 82nd birth anniversary this month. Okay, He will be 82 when he retires. But previously, before he nominated Neil Gorsuch, there was a story that stated that he had three top contenders whom he favored, one of them being Neil Gorsuch of Colorado, another being Diana S. Sykes of Wisconsin, and another being William H. Pryor of Alabama. No, Roy Moore was not on the list. Shocker there, because after all, President Trump is President Trump. But I know years and years ago, I drew up a list of my favorites, knowing as little as I knew of who was out there in the way of judges. But I came up with a list that was longer than that and of really outstanding people. I don't know if they even are all still alive, but it will be interesting to see if the selection, the nomination that this president makes is from the remaining two from that short list, namely William Pryor and Diana or Diane Sykes. Be interesting to see. But you know, the political hacks, the leftists, the political activists of leftism, of socialism, who lead this nation so brilliantly, they have, of course, a not just one litmus test. They have many litmus tests. But one of theirs is, of course, concerning induced abortion. The so-called 
woman's right to choose, even if that woman is, of course, not yet a woman, but a girl. Because, of course, then it's all the worse if a girl is pregnant, even if, of course, the child, the unborn baby, deserves to live. But they are so compassionate. So they have this litmus test, an absolute test regarding would-be nominees, appointees to the U.S. Supreme Court and all other high courts. And that is this, is that even though induced abortion was illegal for so very long, even though it was viewed as utterly evil, as a prime key evil against women, against children, against babies, against families, against society, that view was held by all of the most famous women's rights activists of the past. That's right. And they held similar views with regard to pornography, pornographers, and prostitution. So in other words, dear great-grandmotherly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is 85 years young, she just happens to be diametrically contrary at absolute violent odds with the most famous women's rights advocates of the past. So too, of course, her sisters in arms on the Supreme Court. But, you know, there are other litmus tests. So in absence of sufficient data, to make a decision regarding a judge as to whether they might possibly view induced abortion as something other than an unassailable right that was fashioned by a wicked Supreme Court in the 20th century, the latter 20th century, in absence of sufficient information, they will, of course, look at other things, other determinants of the judge's Fitness. You know, where do they stand with regard to faith? Where do they stand with regard to death penalty? How about their views of euthanasia, so called assisted suicide? If they are in favor of viewing all of the most vicious, heinous, criminals as enjoying a permanent, unassailable right to life, no matter how many monstrous crimes they commit, how many lives they destroy, how many lives they take, while that same person also views it as entirely fitting and proper to put 
people to death who have simply failed to sufficiently recover from wounds, injuries, and such inflicted by destroyers in attempted murders and or suffered during vehicle collisions or being run down by hit-and-run drivers and that sort of thing, well, then they're their kind of people. If they are for the evil and against the good, if they say that the evil must not under any circumstances be put to death and instead must be kept alive and cared for and looked after and attended to and all of this at enormous expense to the people in the nation while some good and dear helpless individuals are slaughtered by starvation and dehydration. Then they're their kind of people. They've got the right kind of values. But currently, various different experts are lamenting that there is such a sparse record of legal rulings and writings on the subject of induced abortion by those whom they view as being the most likely nominees to the Supreme Court. Yes, it's tragic, really. So again, decisions may have to be made along other lines. And of course, there will be intense questioning. You know that. But it's remarkable. Speaking of the courts, and I'll come back to the courts all through this program. It's about the courts, really. But Alan Dershowitz, I expect you know the name. Famous, famous defense attorney. I remember when I first came across Alan Dershowitz, and I, I must hasten to add, famous, famous law professor. But Harvard Law... But uh, when I first came across him such a long time ago, guess what the context was? This was back when I was producing some television programs as well as a radio program long ago. And I found that Alan Dershowitz was speaking out in favor of defending the right to create, seemingly, but definitely the right to show movies of torture murders of young women committed, which were referred to as snuff films, pornographic films that literally depicted torturous murders of young women. And this famed defense lawyer, famed law professor, was speaking in defense of theater owners showing these films. Remarkable. But that that should give you, 
you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. That should give you some idea of the open-mindedness of Alan Dershowitz, right? Should give you some idea of the political persuasions of Alan Dershowitz. More importantly, it should give you some idea of the spiritual state of Alan Dershowitz. But Alan Dershowitz, down through the years again, he has not only practiced law exceedingly lucratively, but also served as a law professor and as an expert commentator on Fox News. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Not uber-conservative Fox News. Oh, my word. Alan Dershowitz. Well, Alan Dershowitz moved to Martha's Vineyard sometime ago. Let me see when it was. 2014. Okay. He retired from Harvard Law School. He moved to Martha's Vineyard. And he had all kinds of buddies and pals there and so on and so forth. And he befriended John Kerry. You do know who John Kerry is, that wonderful bastion of righteousness and honesty and truth and pillar of virtue, John Kerry. And when Kerry moved from Nantucket, But now, of all things, Dershowitz has become a pariah, and he is being shunned by his fellow leftists on Martha's Vineyard because he has not been sufficiently critical of the president, of President Trump. It is just breathtaking. But again, the, the mindset. Of these people. They are such extreme leftists. You don't have leftists that aren't extreme leftists. They are extreme leftists. And they are always talking about the need for open mindedness, right? Need to be open mind, need to keep an open mind, need to be fair minded, all of this. And it is complete, utter falsehood, sham, lies. They are the most closed-minded people in the world. But with regard to that, let me say this, unless in case I haven't been clear about that, when you happen upon truth, absolute, unassailable, unshakable, incontrovertible truth that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt in your soul, You happen to reach conviction regarding the truth of God and his Christ and his word. If you remain open-minded to other possibilities, oh, maybe I should also dabble in astrology. Maybe I should, you know, call the California psychic hotline. Maybe I should this, that, and the other thing. You know, let's, uh, you know, include Islam with that. All right, or well, maybe I should just, instead of whatever branch of Christianity I'm involved with, I think maybe I should consider Mormonism or whatever it is. You're not being open minded. You're being, if a person does that, they're being an idiot, they're being a fool. When you discard the truth for lies, 
you are not just refusing and resisting and rejecting God Almighty and His Christ, but you're doing so to the condemnation of yourself. But we will see what this president does, whether he gives us this person or that person. You know, it's funny, one of these stories that I read, uh, it was, again, pertaining to the retirement announcement of Anthony Kennedy. It referenced the other moderate judges on the court. (laughs) The leftist, horrible, horrible people uh, on the court. It referred to them as four more progressive judges, four more progressive justices. Yes, Anthony Kennedy has been viewed as a progressive justice. And the four to the left of him, they are more progressive justices. It's exciting. They are just so wonderful. And uh, it doesn't matter how extreme, extreme left they are, how extreme hardcore socialists they are. It doesn't matter. Because after all, these are all good people who all are God-fearing and God-loving and God-honoring, and they're all intellectually so honest, and they only want the best, and they just, they all but worship the Constitution. And here lies the rub, is even people, Christians, and that have decent values, and so on and so forth, so many of them buy into the lie that the Constitution should be, not only is, but should be the ultimate law in the land. The problems this nation is facing, the problems this nation has suffered, are in point of fact greatly due to this notion that this man-made instrument is the ultimate law. The ultimate standard of truth with regard to law. When in point of fact, the Holy Bible is. Any instrument drawn up by sinful man is inferior. And inherently fatally flawed. However, that's not to say that the revisions thereof by those of the left are improvements of it. (laughs) They are only intended to undermine it and utterly destroy it, render it completely ineffectual at best and utterly evil at worst. The Soviet Union, the famous old Soviet Union, proud Soviet Union, copied our Constitution to imitate it, to plagiarize it, to pretend, to feign to be a righteous judicial system in that regime. 
It didn't matter what words were on the paper of their constitution. That was just for show. It's like those two show churches, the show Catholic Church and the show Protestant Church in Pyongyang, which are only for the tourists, for the VIPs, whether those VIPs are the Donald Trumps, when he happens to visit his new BFF, or whether it was Billy and Ruth Graham or whomever. It's only for show, and it's only to con people into thinking that things are different than they are. There is no law, no system of law, that in and of itself will achieve righteousness apart from good and godly righteous judges, lawyers, legal practitioners, and so forth. That's as true in the United States of America as it was in the Soviet Union. Regardless what it says on the paper, regardless, even without the legalization of the ruthless, vicious, unconstitutional, to this day, unconstitutional, illegal search and seizure, destruction of preborn babies. See, we still have the Constitution saying that we are protected from unlawful search and seizure, right? They didn't bother to change that. They didn't bother to omit that. (laughs) Even though that was an absolute right. And absolutely, completely refutes the lie of induced abortion. And yet none of our wonderful conservative judges that are out there that I'm aware of has ever spoken to that. Has ever spoken to that. I've never heard any commentators speak to that. Never. I have, going back 30 years. Or thereabouts, not 30, uh, I don't know, 25, <laughs> you know, 25, 26. But, but I've never heard anybody else. I'm not saying nobody else has, but I've never heard anybody else. I've never heard any judge, any lawyer, any law professor, any congressman, any senator, any president ever say that this purported right to destroy preborn babies on the pretense that it's a woman's right negates the preborn baby's right to freedom from unlawful search and seizure. But This United States of America, permit me to say this, to digress for a moment and say this, enjoy it while you can. 
We need to enjoy it while we can because it's not going to be here much longer. Now, the significance, the importance of this next appointment by President Trump. It will be a thing of beauty if Trump manages to so exceedingly outdo Richard Milhouse Nixon, who thought that he was such a brilliant man. Already he has succeeded in appointing nominee Neil Gorsuch to the court. Succeeded in getting him confirmed after nominating him. And thus far, he absolutely, positively passes muster as far as being a vast improvement over those progressives on the court. Whether he's another Antonin Scalia, I don't know. But Antonin Scalia was an imperfect man, a flawed man, a flawed judge. And I owe, (laughs) I attribute, I should say, much of that to his Roman Catholicism. But whom we will be blessed with for our next Supreme Court judge... will be exceedingly important for this nation for it to survive a bit longer and for the legacy for President Trump. So I hope that some within his administration, some within his staff will prevail upon him to make the most outstanding nomination, regardless of what the left is going to do against it. Time and time and time again, it's just like with regard to any political race. We are faced with this great dilemma, and those who hold the keys of the parties, and forget the party of the left, but of the Republican Party, they will insist, oh no, we cannot nominate so-and-so because he or she, is too conservative. They will never get elected. Instead, we need to compromise that. We need to get somebody who will, you know, work with those on both sides of the aisle, because after all, those on both sides of the aisle are equally honest, honorable, open-minded, patriotic, and so on and so forth. Total sham lie. But, Time and time and time again, they prevail upon the voters to support those who are the weakest, least worthy candidates. I don't care how many positions they've had and how glowing their resume is. They are the worst of the candidates, and they get supported instead of the best because the best can't possibly be elected, and you'll be throwing away your vote, right? Does that ring a bell? Same here. Within the Trump administration, I am sure 
there are those who will sound the bell that we must not nominate would-be nominee A, B, C, because they are too conservative. They will never get confirmed. Instead, we need to offer up would-be nominee D because they will like him or here. <laughs> they, will, they will like that person that's more somebody that they can tolerate. So they allow the left not only to dominate the confirmation process after the nominations are made, but before the nominations are made. And in so doing, they usurp the freedom and the responsibility of the president to make the right nominations for this nation. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right, good, honest, true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Christ Jesus. And whatever's wrong, failing, lacking is due to me. You likely saw news concerning this monstrous attack that was committed on Saturday, June 30th, I believe. And the reporting concerning it is so telling. I would say interesting, but it is in point of fact appalling. And a black man with dreadlocks from Los Angeles, 30 years old, Timmy Kinner, Someone had been allowing him to stay with them in this apartment building. But then he was asked to leave due to his evil behavior on Friday. He came back on Saturday and he targeted this birthday party for this girl who had just turned three years of age. He targeted all of the children in that birthday party, who ranged in ages from 3 to 12, stabbing them repeatedly as forcefully as he could. He also turned on all of the adults who attempted to intervene and to save the children. Now, the way it was reported, of course, he's alleged, you know, he's just alleged But police were very careful to state there is no indication that the stabbing was a hate crime. Oh, that is so comforting, a hate crime. It's one of these bugaboos in our judicial system, in our legal system, that has been created, this fiction of hate crimes. So that if something was committed as a hate crime, you know, racially motivated or motivated against sodomites or something like that or against Islamists, then it's especially grievous and heinous and deserves a totally different punishment than if it was just 
vicious, ruthless, monstrous, murderous, hateful destruction. That doesn't count as a hate crime. It's a complete perversion of law, of God's word, of the Constitution. It's a legal fiction dreamed up by the likes of Alan Dershowitz and Ruth Bader Ginsburg and these other progressives. But there was no indication that the stabbing was a hate crime. Why was it important to say that? Because nowhere in the reporting on this did it happen to mention that the murderer was black. The victims just happened to be black. They didn't mention that either. But they were from where? What nations were these children from? They were refugee families at this apartment complex. And many of them were black. They were from nations including Ethiopia, Syria. Oh, where is my list of nations when I need it? Iraq, and so forth. This little girl whose birthday party it was, who was three years of age, died on Monday. She's from Ethiopia. She loved Disney princesses. This precious little girl. She loved pink and Disney princesses. And this monstrous, heinous murderer slaughtered her, attempted to slaughter the rest. So what do you imagine he has been charged with? Hmm? Well, guess what? He has been charged with one count of murder. None of the others have died as far as I know. I haven't seen word that any of the others have died. But he's been charged with one count of murder and eight counts of aggravated battery and one count of enhancement use of a deadly weapon in commission of a felony. Isn't that great? He isn't even charged with attempted murder of all of the others whom he attempted to murder with every ounce of strength that he had. Instead, he's charged with aggravated battery, except for in the case of the three-year-old who died. This kind of monstrous, obscene fiction has been being committed, has been being foisted upon the United States of America and its people now for decades, thanks to our United States Supreme Court, directly. The only time there is a charge of murder is if the person dies. It doesn't matter if they've been shot in the head ten times. It doesn't matter if they've been stabbed a couple dozen times. If they don't die, it's not murder And it rarely is attempted murder. It's something else. It's assault and battery. Aggravated battery. No matter whom the president nominates and whom is appointed, it's not going to change that. Our legal system has deteriorated continually. 
But this is one reason that it is critically important to get the best that we can. It's going to require more than one more halfway decent member of the Supreme Court. And it's going to require an inordinate amount of time to roll back the evils. And it will never away with the blood of the monstrous injustices that have been committed, of the monstrous evil crimes that have been committed over the past half century plus. But again, with regard to the relevance of this, A four-year-old girl, one year older than this dear little girl that was murdered at her birthday party. Can you imagine the trauma to these children that survived that? Can you? One picture that I saw actually, it shows a white American family. Their little girl, their little boy, and I mean they are young. They are kneeling and praying for on the same day that this little girl died at a memorial there, a vigil at City Hall in Boise, Idaho, where that precious little girl from Ethiopia was slaughtered. I haven't mentioned her name. I suppose I should have, but I don't know that I can pronounce it. Ruya Kadir. Apologies if I've mispronounced it. So, a little girl one year older than her was taken from her parents' home in the middle of the night by an alleged perpetrator. By an alleged perpetrator. Just like that Timmy Kenner is the alleged attacker. There of Ruya and the others in Boise. So here in Pennsylvania, this 35-year-old Umberto Guzman Garcia, who was not known to the little girl's family, he allegedly knocked on the front door of the family's Avondale apartment in the middle of the night on Sunday. The little girl's bedroom is located right next to that, to the entryway. Good parenting (laughs) is not involved here. She got up. She slightly opened the front door. The top latch was still secure. He forced his way through the door, grabbed her, took her out to a shed only approximately 50 yards from that apartment building, and he attempted to rape her. Her father was awakened at around 3.30 a.m. and realized his daughter was missing. He went looking for her, and as soon as he got outside, he spotted the fellow. Well, after the police came and they found him hiding and he allegedly admitted to the crime, 
the little girl said the following to a reporter. A monster took me. Indeed. The little girl was taken to a hospital for treatment. How should someone like Umberto Guzman Garcia be treated? Really, how should he be treated? Should he be treated the way that, you know, the Ruth Bader Ginsburgs think, or should it be harsher than that? Well, there's currently a so-called nationwide manhunt for three of four illegal alien Hispanic men who allegedly gang-raped two very young teenage girls at a day's inn in Bowling Green, Ohio. The girls, 13 and 14 years of age. These fine, upstanding young men held the girls captive for hours and gang-raped them. One of them was arrested... And the others, they know who they are because they stayed at the Days Inn for a week's time. They're all illegal. They all had false papers. But how should they be treated? One of them had been previously deported. But how should they be treated, Mr. President? Got news for you, people. They will be, if caught, they will be deported. And then they'll come back. They won't be executed. Oh, heaven forbid. That would just be so inhumane, wouldn't it? Uh, They won't be imprisoned, you know, at the cost to the taxpayers here. They will be deported and they will come back and do more evil. That's a statement of fact. That's how sick this nation has become. Thanks to the likes of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her sisters in arms on the Supreme Court now, thanks to the famous and wonderful ones of yesteryear, like William O. Douglas and Thurgood Marshall and the other great leaders. And there are two women to Hispanic women, with one of the suspects. But anyway, great people. So, just to bring it home. Perchance you know the name Jermaine Greer. She's 79 now, the old coot. She's famous, or infamous in my view, for the 1970 bestseller entitled The Female Eunuch, Uber leftist, and she is promoting a new book. So she said the following Rape should be viewed as a lazy, careless, and insensitive act. All right? Rape should be viewed as a lazy, careless, and insensitive act. She said the penalty should be 200 hours of 
community service. Now, this is a staunch, staunch leftist political activist woman. All of her adult life. But here again, to get a better idea of the spiritual state of this woman, just as I did with regard to dear old Alan Dershowitz, quote, every time a man rolls over on his exhausted wife, so she should say a husband, every time a man rolls over on his exhausted wife and insists on enjoying his conjugal rights, he is raping her. It will never end up in a court of law, end quote. Well, first of all, (laughs) with regard to that, even in the body of what she said, she referred to his conjugal rights. Rights. Conjugal rights. Okay, not conjugal visits for Charles Manson. Or for the Night Stalker. Or for some of these other vicious, monstrous murderers whom some unbelievable, deranged idiots take a fancy to and decide to become cozy with. And these destroyers, instead of having been summarily executed decades ago, are given conjugal visits. But no, every time a man insists on having sexual relations with his wife and she is not as enthusiastic about it as he is, he is raping her. Well, that's not what rape is. And I think maybe we should consider God's word concerning what rape is instead of man's word concerning what rape is. Possibly. But it will never end up in a court of law. Well, that's interesting because I remember decades ago a case, and it's not a single solitary case, but a case of a man in upstate New York being imprisoned for having purportedly committed marital rape. This was not some brutish, monstrous Islamist who had X number of wives and beat them silly and effectively raped them and where they really weren't married to him, but where it was the Muhammad bit, you know, with his nine-year-old bride. No, this was a case of a man with a wife, but she listened to the Germaine Greers, and she became a convert to extreme leftism and lesbian agenda in which the battle cry always by the sodomites, male and female, was marriage is legalized rape. She became a devotee of that, and she prosecuted her husband for having committed a fiction. And he was imprisoned for years. But also the reporting, the reporting concerning the four-year-old girl 
that was raped. The reporting concerning these sisters who are 13 and 14. It didn't say they were raped. It said that they were sexually assaulted. This line about sexual assault instead of rape. Why do they use that? So that they can degrade the charges. So that they do not receive the kind of penalty and punishment that they deserve. Rape used to be a capital offense. Used to be. Long ago now. Back when we were so, you know unwise and uninformed, and it was the dark ages here in the United States of America, unlike today. A very different time. But now we are so advanced. Everything is so improved. And I mentioned before, with regard to these four illegal aliens, Hispanic men, that wasn't reported in anything here, but one of them, the one who's being held, he's being held on a misdemeanor, a misdemeanor. (laughs) We have a great nation. And if you think I'm upset about it, you should think that God's view is much harsher than mine. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But we perhaps can know now if we choose to. Thank you.